The title of our message uh, this morning is, What is True Worship? I just want to look at that for a short time. And uh, we're starting at Genesis chapter 4, uh, starting at verse number 1. Genesis 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived, uh, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she came and bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also uh, brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee it shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. One other verse in John chapter 4, verse 24, just one single verse, it says, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. And... In truth, we ask God to have the blessing, the reading of His precious in our own word. Let's just take a moment and commend ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings of the day. We thank you for what has gone into eternity already. Lord, we just pray that as we open your word uh, this day, dear Lord, it may be a delight unto us that we may find it precious. Uh, and Lord, that we, as we leave this place, might know that we've met with Thee. Uh, and Lord, that the Holy Spirit might lead us uh, into that contemplation of what Your Word has declared unto us. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, the born again believer, worship is a, an action of reverence that, uh, to God that occurs in two separate ways. First of all, there is the personal way to the individual believer and it consists of that closeting away or in seclusion of reverential prayer and the reading of his word. That's what you do on a daily basis. If you're a believer, uh, then you have a desire just to uh, come to the Lord and uh, just set yourself away for whatever time it would be and just... Uh, give thanks to the Lord for what he's done for you, but also to look to him for that uh, that help and guidance and strength to live your life. The second, of course, is public worship that allows us to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to give reverence to God, who through his Son has given us the means of salvation uh, from our sin. And we've been, uh, I'm sure that there are many who would come into this pulpit uh, and would uh, declare unto you what God requires of each uh, individual believer. He certainly uh, declares that he wants us to come in that orderly manner. 
He wants us to come with that reverence before Him. And the church then operates as the body of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, which had its problems, as I'm sure you well know, uh, they had a problem in keeping order within the church. And in 1 Corinthians 14.40, he says, Let all things be done decently and in order. It's important that you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, do things decently. That we're not flippant about how we come to worship God. To the Colossian church, Paul wrote of the same type of order in the church. Colossians 2.5, he said, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. That order that we have in public worship helps us to, or helps to establish our faith in a greater way. To Titus, uh, in Titus 1.5, he says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I have appointed thee. Undoubtedly, there was a need for reminders to the believers as to how they should be ordering themselves as the church with Jesus Christ at its head. Remember the Pharisees of Jesus' time. They were those of a religious nature who put burdens on the people that took away the joy of God. We come here this morning, we come in joy. We come in joy that we're able to come before the Lord because of Jesus Christ and what He did for us on the cross. We come with that joy to joyfully worship Him. It's not a drudgery. It's not something that we come because we have to come, because people expect us to come. But we come because we have a desire to worship God. We have a desire to bring glory unto His name in everything that we do. And we must know something. If we come religiously, we must understand something. Religion saves no one. And it's important to remember that. The whole concept of a flesh-driven religion condemns and has condemned many millions to a Christless eternity in a place the Holy Spirit has told us is called hell. And that's terrible. There are people who are religious in all aspects of their life, but they're not saved. And so they're lost. You're here this morning with the concept that the church is just an organization for your benefit, then you have come to their home place. The church is a body of believers who, as a living organism, are blood-bought. That's Christ on the cross, dying and shedding His blood. Blood-bought and blood-washed. A blood-washed people who are no longer separated from God because of their sin. And we rejoice in that fact that we have access unto God. God has given us the means to come to Him. And surely that's something that we keep as precious. So what's the root of true, true worship? Many churches today, there is a throng of worship styles and fleshly desires that appeal to the majority of the modern church goer. They make church more appealing with lively music, dance, drama, 
and the content of contemporary language used in the messages that tickle the ears and never reach the soul. We must be aware of that. Always aware of that. That we're not here for entertainment, we're here for the glory of God. And that's something that encourages each one of us. I have in conversation with many other believers who go to those types of churches uh, and they've been amazed at what they haven't heard. Uh, I remember a, a, a person, a member of our own church in Bray Hill, uh, telling me that they were speaking about what we were studying one Wednesday night. Uh, I think it was in, uh, in Revelation we were, uh, we were covering. And uh, I said, we don't get that in our church. We don't get that real digging into God's Word and, and finding out what God really wants, uh, wants for us. They're amazed at the fact that they're not getting it. Uh, yet they continue to remain in that position because of the liveliness of the church worship sessions. That's what gets them going. That's what keeps them going. It's not the Word of God that keeps them going. It's the enthusiastic worship. It's the excitement. That it's the, uh, the, uh, the real joy of the fleshly uh, um, style of what's going on. Surely the Word of God is, is enough for each one of us. It's not, and I always, again, I've been declaring this recently at, at, at my own church, and I've been saying, you know, it's not what we give God. It's what God wants from us. We're often in that position where we say, oh, well, I'm going to do this for God, I'm going to do that for God. And we fail just to sit down and say, well, God, what do you really want from me? And that's a challenge for you and me this morning. Many who go to these services come out floating on an air of emotionalism instead of being challenged or encouraged by the Word of God. And we must be careful of this. I've always uh, said to my congregation, make sure you uh, dissect every word I say. Come to me afterwards and we'll have a chat about what, we'll, uh, uh, what I've said. And you'll know I'm right. The careful aspect of challenging between congregation and pastor is something that should be uh, amiable. It should be something that is uh, a sense of encouraging each other as we look at the Word of God and we dissect the Word of God and see what the blessings really are. Today many are searching for the truth of what life is all about. They've been sucked in by an ever-changing science, a science which allows them to base their beliefs on manufactured facts that look okay to the eye, yet next year they will have changed. We know that's what science is about. There are many factual things about science that are good, but there are many things that will change in a year's time, in two years' time, maybe in ten years' time. There'll be a complete overhaul of what the belief of science is as far as uh, the earth is concerned. The church today has abandoned the truth of God's word to allow, uh, to allow the church to grow in numbers. 
not a knowledge. And we read at the beginning of the, the words of Jesus Christ on the matter of how worship should be enjoined by the you and I as Christians. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. In the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in the truth of God's Word, allowing the truth of God's Word to come into our lives and to direct us. True worship, of course, is not found in the unbeliever's life. If you're not saved this morning, then um, true worship is not found in your life. Why can I say that? Well, you see, we have a connection with God through Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, if you're saved, you have that access unto God. If you're not, of course, you don't have that that access. I want you to turn to Isaiah in your Bibles for a moment. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. From verse 2. Isaiah 59 verse 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you. That he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverse, perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies, and they conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. There's a separation that is between the sinner and God. That separation is something that you and I can never do anything about. It always has to be Jesus Christ. He is that mediator between God and man. There's often many times when you'll hear people saying, the unsaved particularly saying, well, I I said a little prayer to God and he answered. No, he didn't. Prayers of the the unsaved do not have any access unto God. And that's harsh. I know it's harsh. But it's something that we must realize that there is a need for each one of us to be declaring the truth of God's word unto the unbeliever so that they know exactly where they are and the lostness of their situation. Maybe you think that this is the Old Testament doesn't apply to you very well. Apostle Peter declares it in 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Who are the righteous? They are that blood-washed blood people, born-again Christians, over the righteous. And his ears are open unto their prayers. He hears the believer's prayers. But listen, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. You may say, well, I know many people who aren't saved, but they don't do evil. For all the sin and come short of the glory of God, we must remember that. The Apostle John writes in John 9, 31, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshipper of God and doeth his will, then he heareth what's his will. His will is that all must be saved. So when we come to worship God, there is 
seen a relationship that can only be with those who have been saved by the grace of God. What is that grace? It is the free, unmerited love or favor of God. Worship of God is only through Jesus Christ as mediator between God and sinful man. Oh, what a privilege we have this morning. If you're a believer here this morning, what a privilege you have, what a privilege I have in having that connection with God. That worship of God. Those who come to God without the spirit of truth indwelt within them never have contact with God. And therefore cannot have that privilege. There's a reality about worship as well. We're here this morning, we're here to worship. We worship by our singing, we worship by prayer, we worship by just our gathering together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We worship Him by the opening of His Word and and having that desire to know more uh, more about Him. The new contemporary worship manner of anything goes contradicts the authority of God's preserved Word. Think of the beginning of the church in Acts. Acts 2.41 And it says, They that gladly received His Word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. What a church it was at the very beginning. Continuing in the word of God, in the doctrine of the word. What a picture of true worship. Obedience in salvation. Obedience in baptism as a testimony. Obedience in the learning of God. Obedience in gathering together. Obedience in the ordinance of the table. Obedience in prayer together. We well know the prayer meeting sometimes is the least well attended meeting. And yet it should be the most. That's where we get our power from. The powerhouse of the assembly. Importantly, they had a connection here at the beginning of the church which in Christ brought them together of one mind. And it says in verse Acts 2.44 And all that believed were together and had all things common. If you're a believer here this morning, you and I have a commonality that is so great. So wonderful. It's so precious that we can see that uh, that joy that we should have in, in just saying hallelujah. Praise the Lord for our salvation. The reality of public worship in is obedience and reverence and it must be considered when, when we come before Almighty God. In real terms, it must be God who is to be pleased with our worship and not a self-satisfaction in our fleshly desires. That's why we read John 4.24, God is spirit, may that worship him, must worship him in spirit and in truth. The term God, it, the term God is, those two little words together, uh, is seen 150 times in scripture. And that's how we know God. It is in his word. That's how we know who God is through the teaching of his word. And as we worship God in our church gathering, we must recognize that we as a blood-bought, blood-washed uh, uh, people, a body of Christ, have a responsibility to God in our fear or reverence of him. That's what that word fear means. It means reverence. We come in reverence. 
before him. As I said earlier, not flippantly, but we come in reverence before him, looking to him, looking to see what he would say to us. Our worship must be spiritual. And as we approach God's uh, throne of grace through the righteousness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we must be sincere. Sincere in that we must have the desire to bring glory to God and leave the things that concern us uh, in this God-forsaken world outside. We leave them at the door. We come and we're looking to God only here today. This old world is forsaking God and sin. The old devil and his devices and his people in this world are bringing delusion even in, into church bodies where they leave the word of God in their worship and they look to the flesh. Our worship must be sensible in the proclaiming of the truth of God's word. Some uh, in my own church think I'm very penicularly when it comes to rejecting even some hymns that we would have in our, in our hymn book. Yet consider if our worship is unbiblical, then what glory does it bring God when we corrupt his word? And the same goes for musical instruments that blast away over what is to be heard in worship. If it's unintelligible, then what, of what use is it really? Don't get me wrong, I play the guitar too. And I think it's great that we have this sensible worship. There are places I've been in when you cannot hear even the words that are being, uh, being sung because of the drums, because of the electric guitars, and all, all sorts of things. Be wary of that. The constant transinducing repeating of the same phrase or words over and over again is occultic in its origin and it's so wrong in the worship of God. You'll see that, I'm sure you've seen it in many uh, of uh, sort of hyper-charismatic meetings where they repeat the same word over and over and over again just to get into some sort of trance before God. They're not getting into any trance uh, because of God. It's occultic in its way. <clears throat> Our worship must be sanctified, set apart, <clears throat> set apart from the way of the world, the way how the world does things in the near future. We'll be looking at parasites for men and women with clothing, uh, you know, as being, we're seeing it today actually. There's a, the cosmetics for men, the industry of the cosmetics for men is, uh, is booming. There is a sense in which people want to be part of a world uh, where there is no distinction even between men and women. It's never really discussed or never really preached on sometimes because preachers may well be afraid that God's word may offend someone. God's truth offends you at times and then praise the Lord. Because perhaps maybe he's getting, to, he's getting a start into you. Maybe he's starting you to get you into the way that he, what he wants from you rather than what you want to give him. 
So if you're offended by anything uh, that I say here this morning, I praise God for it. If it's in the Holy Spirit, it is to do with God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine. Doctrine, that nasty old word, isn't it? It's a nasty old I don't like doctrine because it's so hard. And yet it's essential for us to grow as believers. Profitable for doctrine and for reproof. In other words, sometimes we can be told off by the Holy Spirit. We can be told off about our lifestyle, that lifestyle that we think that is fine, but that lifestyle that God says, well, no, you're just not doing things the way my word says. Reproof. Yeah, we're told off sometimes. But there's another element to it. It says for reproof, for correction, you see, if we're told off by, by the Word of God, if we want to put it, I'm just putting it plainly like this. If we're told off by the Word of God, then God says, but there's a solution. Because the correction that you need is, is in my Word. So there's a, there is that correction for instruction in righteousness. God's Word instructs us in the way that we should live. What does uh, Paul tell Timothy? He says that the man of God may be perfect. Now, not perfect in the sense where you're really you're walking around with that halo uh, on your head. I'm not talking about that. It means to be complete. To be complete in God. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In other words, thoroughly furnished as to what God wants you and me to do. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The reality of worship is that sense of that, that personal humility before God, and that reverence before God, that we would come and that we would worship him. The relevance of true worship, we've had the root of true worship, the reality of true worship, might we look at the, re, uh, the relevance of true worship. In the Psalms of David, we have seen him constantly in the mind of true worship. As he comes to God in worship, repentance, and a desire to have a protecting, closer relationship with him, with God. If you read the things about David, you always see him struggling. He's like you and me. He was always struggling with life. Yes, he was faithful, but he made so many bad mistakes. But he was always faithful in coming back and saying, Lord, I've made a mistake. We, we know what he, uh, what he did with Bathsheba. And the child that he had and the child that he lost. But he was only allowed to live any further because of his total repentance as to, to the sin that was in his life. Psalm 51, if you go to it, you'll see that, uh, that sure repentance of David. Create in me a clean heart, Lord. Renew that right spirit within me. 
Oh, what a prayer that should be for each one of us. Sometimes that we're down, that we make a mistake, that we, we sin against God, maybe uh, we haven't realized it, and, and suddenly that realization kicks in. And we come in that prayer of confession. And we lead, let God lift us up again, let God direct us in the way that we need to go, putting all our dependence upon Him. David said in Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. They didn't have church in the Old Testament. But we come, and we have that desire to behold the beauty of the Lord. To inquire of him what he wants from us. The writer of Psalm 42 also shows that there's a, the desire of true worship to God through, through these words. To the chief musician, Psalm 42 verse 1. Uh, to the chief musician, Maskell, for the sons, uh, for the sons of Korah. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? A desire, a panting after the Lord. Are you here this morning and you have a desire for the Lord? Are you here this morning and you have that, uh, that desire to hear from Him? That desire to worship Him? That desire to be content in Him? That desire to have peace in Him? Yes, we have peace in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, towards God because of our salvation. Sometimes we have a tendency to forget that first love and that we go on through our lives and that peace sort of gets a bit flaky. We need to come and thirst after Him. Brother Pastor, uh, Pastor Borland, Stephen Borland, that was in uh, Ballyclare Baptist Church, uh, I, uh, sat under his ministry, he once noted uh, his own definition of what true worship really is. And he said this, Worship is that spontaneous expression of joyful, thankful adoration which emanates from our mediation upon the greatness, goodness, graciousness and glory of God. Great statement. Spontaneous expression of joy, of joyful, thankful adoration. That's why we're here today. When we read God's truth, there are times when we cannot help but declaring worship unto Him. There are times when, even in the study, uh, and I know Pastor Portland was the same, there was times in the study when you were going through a particular uh, item and you couldn't help but just stop and just pray and, and give thanks to God for what he was teaching you, for what he was giving. And it's a wonderful thing to be spontaneous in that joy and in that worship uh, of God. As a believer separates more and more from the influence uh, and the e- of the evilness of this world and in submission grasps the full counsel of God, it is the progression of a Holy Spirit-filled life that proclaims the testimony of salvation from sin. In other words, your life 
will be shown, will show Christ to other people because of your desire for him. You'll know the familiar verses of 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. It talks about the natural man. And the natural man sees the world declaring God's word as foolishness. He sees God's word as nothing but something foolhardy. The spiritual man or woman sees it always in a discerning, God-glorifying manner. Discerning meaning examining. We examine the word of God and we see it as something of a glory. To those that are unsaved, in many occasions, the word of God is foolishness. On all occasions, usually, it is foolishness. Yet God has given us a, a, an opportunity to see Christ even today. And the sacrifice that he has made for you and me by taking your place before God's wrath on the cross at Calvary over 2,000 years ago. It is a divine uh, or God-given appointment with God that has you here to know God's love through his Son. It doesn't matter whether you're saved or unsaved here this morning. We're here and we are exposed to the love of God and as we worship him. We looked at the very beginning in Genesis and we see the first occasion or recording of uh, of worship, of uh, bringing uh, sacrifice to God. And we saw that there is a right way and there is a wrong way. We should joy as believers in the right way. As we look at God's word and we discern from God's word the right way that we come unto God uh, in that humility and in that obedience and reverence before him, that that is the right way, that that's what he wants from us. God requires a responsibility of you and me to hear his word. A responsibility that allows you to present yourself in reverence of God and rejoice that he has declared you righteous before him uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We are to present ourselves before God in an acceptable way. Psalm 96, 9 says, oh, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear or reverence before him all the earth. And we can say as we chorus states, How good is the God we adore, our faithful and changeable friend, whose love is as great as his power, but knows neither measure nor end. As we come this morning and we worship him, let it be something of joy. Let it be something of reverence. Let it be something of obedience. But let it be something that is precious to each one of us. And that we acknowledge that God is who he is in our lives through Jesus Christ.